Hello everyone, this is G Money with the Black Ops team, also here with me today, Booker T, and today's topic, vaccine. Will we or will we not take the vaccine for COVID-19? The question is, do we trust it, will we trust it, when the vaccine finally becomes available, probably sometime to the general public next year, 2021. So, let's get started. I'd start by saying that one of the things that we strive for here with Black Ops is to try to provide the public with as much information as possible so that they can make an educated decision about things that are going to impact their lives as well as their family lives. So, you know, there's a lot of conversation, as you spoke about, about how it is that the U.S. can get back to normal. And the vaccine is at the top or the crux of that conversation. So before we go to one, whether or not you should take the vaccine or we splinter off and talk about whether or not you could be forced to take the vaccine and whether or not there's any precedent in that regard. I think that as a part of doing our due diligence, we need to understand who are some of the front runners around creating this vaccine and what surrounds those companies. Are there any things that we should be concerned about? Um, so the first thing that I would talk about is there's two organizations that we've heard a lot about in the news these days. And the first one is the CDC, the Center for Disease Control. Um, so I've got an article here that talks about the fact that CDC members own more than 50 patents connected to vaccinations. National Institute of Health mostly funds outside research, but it also funds, um, excuse me, it also invents basic scientific technologies that are later licensed out and incorporated into drugs that are sold at massive profits. So the agency rarely claims ownership stakes or pursues patent rights, but that appears to be different with this coronavirus vaccine. So we just talked about two agencies that every that a lot of people, if they weren't familiar with before the coronavirus, they sure are familiar with it now. The CDC and the National Institute of Health, of which we have now learned that they own patents and they receive, well, their members that represent those organizations receive financial gain and benefit as a result of pushing vaccines that, that are going to be utilized by the American people. And for me, I see that as a significant conflict of interest, and it makes you wonder whether or not some of the moves that are being made are in the best interest of the American people. You're saying or suggesting that because there's potentially some connection, right? In other words, there's profitability in it for them, right? If they own yep. or connected to these patents to a vaccine, anytime there's a drug, a vaccine drug that is created that is profitable for them basically so of right. course there's something in it for them in that scenario okay so what other concerns right. do you have around um the vaccine other than their profitability so the department of defense conducted a study on its personnel now getting a shot for the flu the mm -hmm. flu vaccination 
turns around and is designed to protect you against the flu. But when people get sick after taking the, the flu shot, a lot of people attribute it to them having now gotten the flu. But the reality is, and what this study is showing is that it's not that they got the flu, but because of the fact that they took that vaccination, it lowered and it weakened their immune system to the threat of other potential uh, respiratory illnesses. So they didn't necessarily get sick from the flu, but they got sick from something else that was a re respiratory ailment because of the fact that they took it. That's why they're calling this virus interference. The conclusion, an excerpt of the conclusion from that study says vaccine derived virus interference. What, what you're really hearing a lot of the um, scientists say is they want you to take the flu shot now. So there's one less element uh, if you do get sick. In other words, if they know you got your flu shot and you get sick, it's more than likely you have coronavirus. That's kind of what they're saying. Hmn. I, I noticed that, too that. Heard that yet? Uh, I had not heard that, but one of the things that I do know is that every year they turn around and they tweak the flu, uh, uh, the flu shot. <laughs> they're they're continuing to fine tune the flu shot. So, you know, who knows what they're putting in it and, and how they're going about tweaking it. But every year they're doing something to turn around and to try to boister its effects. So, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, but what I've heard is they clearly things. want you to take the flu shot this year or this season. Right. Because if you've taken your flu shot and if you show up sick because the concern they say they have is because the effects of COVID-19 or um, the symptoms of COVID-19 are very similar to the flu. So if you take your flu shot and you show up at the hospital sick, it's more than likely going to be COVID. If you don't take your flu shot and you show up sick, it might take them some time to figure out or decipher what you really have. And the concern they have is they'll lose time in treating you because they're trying to figure out what you have, whether it's COVID-19 or the actual flu. If come the second wave after September, like October when typical flu season starts, not only are you going to have COVID-19, but you're going to have flu. And it's just going to compound the issue. And that's why I think you hear these scientists who sound alarmed. Well, part of the reason they, I think they're alarmed is because they know what's going to happen if it doesn't get handled right. They know and understand what the risks are. And that is more hospitals filling up with sick people and them not having a clue of why they're sick, if it's the flu or COVID-19. And those are drastically different treatments, right? What percentage of the population do you think, especially for the African-American population, is going to be willing to take a vaccine when it rolls out day one? I would say uh, less than half the population would be my guess, because I think that what will come to the top of mind, especially in some of the older uh, population, is going to be the Tuskegee experiment. And this is the history of this country. So, yes, uh, the people of color in that population has every right to be uh, to prejudge the situation and be concerned about their whether or not their 
health and well-being is truly being considered uh, when they're when they're rushing this vaccination to market and and then wanting as as uh, Melinda Gates suggests, well, right after we vaccinate the healthcare workers, we should target the most vulnerable in our population, which tends to be people of color because of their underlying health conditions. Now, she didn't turn around and say, and, I, and I'm making this clarification because I researched this article as well. She didn't say that black people should be uh, uh, vaccinated next. What she said is, those who have underlying conditions. But if you listen to the media, when they make that statement, they're referring to the community of the people of color. So, you know. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. No, I think it's going to be interesting for a couple of reasons. I think, um, first of all, I'm leery, right? The normal time it takes to bring a vaccine to the public after going through testing and trials and everything else is 10 to 15 years. That's the normal time frame. What we're talking about here is something around a year, right? It was around February we started reacting. Well, <laughs> maybe it's more like April, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, you're talking about a year. And as I've always said, you've heard me say this multiple times, 2020 is a wrap, right? You ain't getting no vaccine until earliest 2021. And it's probably more towards right. the middle to the late latter part of 2021. And I keep telling people that because there's no way in the world they can test the vaccine all they want to as they sit there with a microscope and look under on a slide and say, oh, it looks like it's reacting well. And they can test it in rats and everything else. But human trials are completely different than those. And that's why we do these different steps and different levels, right? Because if we knew testing it just in mice or testing it just in a lab would get us the result we want, we would skip the fact that we're doing other kind of animal testing and human testing. But we know right. that we typically see is it reacts differently at each level and you have to tweak it as you go. And the concern around what side effects might happen, well, you don't know those side effects. If we're just giving people the test today, and this is August, right? We're just giving the people test in August. Max are going to have before we roll this out is what, six months to have that in their system. So you really don't know the long-term effects uh, of a drug or a vaccine in six months. You just don't. And the question is, do you have enough of a sample size, right? Cause you got to say different ages, different races, different sexes, and make sure that the drug reacts in accordance with what their expectations are. So if you're telling me we're going to have a drug in January, which I'm going, okay, six months from now into January, I'm going, uh, so it's got six months of tr real human trial. Uh, that's concerning trials, uh, and testing and a vaccine process to get a vaccine for a virus usually takes 10 to 15 years. We're going to get that done in one year. Uh, you know, a lot of things have been cut short. There have been a lot of shortcuts if that's the case. And the question is, do you trust it? I'm fine with them giving out the vaccine. I'm just not going to be the first one in line. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Right. Right. Because the more people to get um, the vaccine, the less likely the spread. So that I'm fine with. Uh, I'm just not going to be first in line to get no vaccine. Because uh, I want to see 
how you have human trials that are less than a year and you can't truly measure the effects, uh, side effects of the drug. Um, so that's concerning for me. So something that you said about the fact that, you know, that, that you talked about that timeline and that time frame of when it is and how long they're going to be able to test and whether or not you truly can get any real meaningful information in such a short time frame. Well, if you think about how the laws are written, that short time frame actually plays into the favor of these manufacturers of the drug. What am I talking about? So there's a House resolution, HR 5546. I'm going to say that again. HR 5546, the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act of 1986. What this talks about is how the government legislated to allow the manufacturers of vaccines to be off the hook for any ill uh, 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 effects associated with people taking the vaccine. Okay, so what you really have there is we're going to protect these people who are creating the vaccine from any kind of legalities or lawsuits um, in, as it relates to any ill effects of the drug. So, yeah, they're basically CYA, right? Covering your ass, basically. And that's the best way to do it. So, and that scenario makes sense. But in addition to that, these drug companies also have some major rap sheets, right? Some of the things they've done wrong uh, as it relates uh, to their business dealings in creating drugs. And I think you've got some of that rap sheet, right, Booker? So, absolutely. So, what we were talking about is whether or not some of the suspicions that not only you, myself, and, and, and the other uh, public as it relates to the, uh, uh, pop, the population of color has when it comes to whether it's doctors or especially drug manufacturers, considering our, our, our past related to the Tuskegee experiment or what have you. Is the suspicion that we have when it comes to these types of individuals founded? or not. So I bring you for the top four drug manufacturers, their corporate rap sheets, starting out with GlaxoSmithKline. In 1984, the FDA charged them with failure to warn regulators and the public about potentially lethal side effects associated with this blood pressure medicine. In 2003, in Britain, the public was warned about their antidepressant medicine, if used by children, could increase suicidal thoughts but and should not be prescribed to children. In 2004, the attorney general filed suit against GlaxoSmithKline, accusing them of suppressing research that showed negative conclusions related to one of their drugs. So basically, when they did research and they tested it on various subjects, um, there were the favorable ones were the ones that were passed on to the FDA and other regulators. Uh, but the ones that were unfavorable, they sought to suppress that information. Again, making a biased decision as it related to their product so that it could get in the hands of the public. In 2010, 
the FDA issued a scathing critique concluding they excluded information about numerous incidents which users had severe medical complications after using one of their drugs. It was later determined the company spent a decade covering up research uh, results on one of their drugs that were unfavorable. Also in 2010, the company paid $750 million to settle civil and criminal complaints that they knowingly sold adulterated drugs. So that's a product that they know is contaminated and they went ahead and, and took it to market anyway. Again, we're talking about what is the mindset of this company that is uh, vying to be in the front runner of producing the COVID-19 vaccine. And the last thing, which is going to put the exclamation mark on this particular company, in 2012, the company paid $3 billion to settle criminal and civil charges for withholding crucial safety data on one of their drugs from the FDA. So if that doesn't put the cherry on top in terms of should we be raising more than an eyebrow when it comes to any kind of product that this particular company might put out, you know, I would say absolutely. I mean, doesn't even make sense, right? Well, their, their business practices in reference to their business practices. What, mm -hmm. what, what kind of moral and ethics are they operating with when it comes to business? And as we can see, Capitalism is what reigns supreme in their minds. So, mm -hmm. gotcha. so let's move on to Merck. Merck's corporate rap sheet. In the 1960s, a drug approved by the FDA later found out that the company had not tested the drug for efficacy and side effects, which, you know, obviously are standard protocols before you're going to be bringing a drug to market. You want to understand what the side effects are. And if you didn't test for it, then you wouldn't have to declare them because you didn't know them because you didn't test for them. Mm -hmm. But again, that's one of those things where they're trying to do an end around. Well, you can't get me for what I didn't know, but I knowingly didn't test for this. So what is that telling us? In the mm -hmm. 1970s, they produced a drug and prescribed it for women, knowing that testing showed it caused cancer in animals. And these women were suing because they ended up with some type of vaginal cancer. Mm. There were scores of them. Yeah. And in 2001, they withheld information that one of their drugs caused elevated risk of heart attacks in users so as not to sideline what was going to be a blockbuster drug and not going to be, it was a blockbuster drug. And this stuff came out after it was already on the market. It was selling, making them millions and millions and hundreds of millions of dollars. And, uh, and then this information came out. So again, Merck is, uh, is, a uh, uh, no boy scout. And it appears to be following a much similar prod, uh, pathway uh, as we saw with the former company, GlaxoSmithKline. Wow. Okay. Uh, moving on to Johnson & Johnson, which everyone you know, I know has heard of and is familiar with. In 2004, 
they paid a $90 million lawsuit to settle, uh, uh, to settle claims linking their medicine to several hundred deaths in many more cases of cardiac irregularity. Mm. Uh, in 2009 and 2010, there was a recall of 136 million bottles of Tylenol and Motrin for children that were contaminated with metal particles. They paid 20 million in criminal fines and forfeited $5 million. Now I know that that hits a, 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 a sore spot in any parent's hearts when you're talking about them having allowed a product to get to market that potentially our children could have consumed and it was contaminated with metal particles. Hmm. Yeah. In uh, 2008, during a congressional investigation around another Motrin IB recall, they had what's called a phantom recall. Now, what does that mean? They hired a third-party company to go out to the marketplace and buy all the contaminated product off the shelf while making no announcement to the general public. So they tried to do an end around. When they're in a scenario like this, What's supposed to happen is there's supposed to be a public declaration about the fact that the company's doing a recall so that the public, if they have the product inside their homes, they can go about removing it, discarding it, taking it back to the store to get a refund, anything like that in order to protect themselves and their family. But instead of doing that, they went this route of hiring a third party so it was disassociated with the company and they could do it very covertly or sneaky. Mm. So, I mean, boy, that just, it shows you uh, 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 the essence and, and, and what kind of deviousness is going on in some of these boardrooms uh, as it relates to them pushing these drugs. Absolutely. So just two more, yeah, just two more things related to Johnson & Johnson. In 2011, they agreed under pressure, pressure from the public, pressure from watchdog agencies to remove ingredients from its baby products that had been regarded as carcinogenic. So, you know, again, they wouldn't have done it unless, of course, the overwhelming pressure that was exerted by those watchdog agencies that were aware that there were things that they had inside their products that could be harmful to, you know, to our children. And then as a result, they, they folded under the pressure and ultimately uh, did the right thing. And then lastly, to put the exclamation mark on a uh, point on this company in 2013, they paid $2.5 billion to 8,000 people who received flawed hip implants. Mm. So it's just <laughs> faulty product after faulty product, still allowing it to get to the marketplace again in the spirit of capitalism with ill regard for the public safety and health. So I do think that'll be something that people keep in mind as a uh, way, uh, whether or not they're going to get the vaccine. I do think it's funny though, because there is a, uh, group of people out there to say, right, the anti-vaccine 
thought process is similar to the anti-mask. Why won't you just do it so everybody gets better? Anti-vaccine is similar to anti-mask. Why won't you just take it and make sure you're putting yourself out of harm's way as well as um, others? So I do think we're going to hear that kind of pushback and feedback. Uh, no, I, I would agree. But I think that this gives a better context to that discussion especially when we go back to uh, House Resolution 5546, which we talked about earlier uh, in the show, um, which talked about how the uh, government had legislated protections for the manufacturing companies of these types of vaccines because they know that they are, they have unavoidable side effects these are this, this is the the wording coming from the legislation this is not my wording this is theirs so they're producing stuff that they know is going to have ill side effects that's going to impact the public but yet and still they still want to turn around and prescribe it to you so when you take that in conjunction with what we just talked about as it relates to the corporate rap sheets for these companies and then lastly, they're rushing this product to market. This will be one of the fastest that I have ever been privy to for a vaccine to make it from creation to marketplace if this COVID-19 is available by the end of the year or by early next year. You're not even talking uh, no. uh, nine months. It's, well, uh, it's definitely less right. than a year. But it's even, you know, in that nine month range. Well, this is not a something unique to you. This is unprecedented, right? Right. This is not just a uh, what you're experiencing. This is a never before period. Um, so again, like I said before, it's usually between ten to fifteen years for a vaccine to come to market completely. Uh, max, you could usually spend it up to five years. So for us doing something less than that, let's just say it comes out next year because i don't think it's going to come up before the end of this year i think that's i think that's what president trump hopes uh but that ain't happening i think you're going to get it either beginning of next year but the masses aren't going to get it until middle of next year right mm. so just because of the distribution the logistics correct. the whole nine yep anybody got no 300 <laughs> 330 million vaccines right that's just for the u.s that doesn't count the world but i also think there's a lot of other trust issues going on. Like I said, it's not just about the vaccine, but it's about how a lot of this information has been disseminated, right? Mm. It's this administration saying one thing on one side while the scientists are saying another. I think there's just so much misinformation out there. Is it a hoax? Is it not a hoax? Does it, it won't even impact black people. It doesn't even impact young people. Oh, there's no long lasting side effects to catching the virus like there's so much bad information out there that um i think people's trust in general is weak at best because they don't right. know what to believe and who to believe hmm. um and it's unfortunate that the administration and the scientists haven't had one unified approach just like they haven't had one unified approach to handle things like ppe right or the vaccine or the you know should people wear a mask and you know each state did their own thing so you have 50 different things going out there which makes no sense and nothing but utter confusion so i think those things hurt so i think the same thing is going to happen with vaccine 
But right now, I do believe the public trust is low in general to anything that's going on right now uh, with this pandemic uh, and with this administration. Absolutely. And I think that to your point, it is the public's lack of trust in this administration, which has got this deterioration of trust that you're talking about. So that brings to mind another point. Well, the 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 uh, uh, administration and uh, the president has hitched his wagon to the University of Oxford and AstraZeneca as a company for producing the uh, vaccine for COVID-19. We've invested $1.2 billion uh, to, to, to speed up that process. And then we've secured with that investment 300 million doses of whatever it is that they come up with from a vaccine standpoint. So I think that since that's who uh, he chose to hitch his wagon to uh, on behalf of the American people, I think that we we need to understand what kind of company that this is and what kind of corporate rap sheet they have as well. So mm -hmm. in 2003, AstraZeneca paid $355 million for criminal fines, fraud charges related to Medicare programs, and civil false claims act charges for illegal marketing of a drug. And they were accused of also giving illegal financial inducements to physicians. In 2004, the FDA found that the company, the company's um, advertisements for one of their drugs was false and misleading. And they also took issue with how they represented the FDA, FDA's position on that particular drug. So not only were they doing false and misleading advertisement related to their product, but in terms of just how strong the FDA support was of it in that FDA support revolves around is the product safe and effective for humans, you know, human consumption. So they were they misrepresented that position as well. And then in 2010, they paid five hundred and twenty million dollars for illegal marketing of a drug not approved as safe and effective by the FDA. So they took a drug to market that was not approved by the FDA. They were also accused of paying doctors to give speeches and publish articles promoting those unapproved uses. Now, here's the kicker. Those speeches and published articles that the doctors did were ghostwritten by the company. And this is all a part of this whole uh, uh, claim and what they settled for $520 million. Again, it sounds like the uh, concerns that we had with the, the top uh, drug companies is the same concern and the same behavior that appears to be exhibited by AstraZeneca as well. So, yeah. Um, yeah. That's crazy. That tells you all you need to know. Exactly. So again, when we say this information is designed to make sure that you have all, you know, additional information that they're not discussing, they're not bringing to the public's attention um, when it comes to you making your decision about whether or not you're going to be first in line to get the vaccine. We want a solution. 
uh, to this uh, pandemic. And we want it to be safe and effective for the public. But we don't want is for them to be experimenting on the public, especially the community of color, which has had enough experiments done on them, um, mm. you know, uh, 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 in, in, in an effort for them to uh, fatten their pockets at our expense. Great points, Booker. So to summarize, there are a lot of things to think about. Do you trust the administration? Do you trust our government? Do you trust the drug companies? And more importantly, do you trust the process and how long it took them to create the vaccine? Those are a lot of questions that will be running through people's minds as they make that decision. And for each of us, that will be a personal decision based on your health, your underlying conditions, and your susceptibility to becoming terminally ill by catching the virus. I recommend everybody to think about it, figure it out for themselves and their families. This is a major decision, and it's one that everybody needs to consider. A little different from the mask, because this is something that's going in your body and can have an effect on you long-term, both positive or negative, in reference to the virus. So, having said that, I want everybody to have a good one. Look forward to catching your net podcast, and make sure you go out and vote. Please, please, please check the site, vote.org. It has all the information you need to see if you are registered as a voter, to see what the rules are for your uh, city and state, as well as the county you might be voting in, and gives you all the information, including mail-in ballots. So please check out vote.org. Again, that's vote.org. We need to get out and vote, people. Please get out and vote. Thank you.